We'll go ahead and turn your Bibles to Genesis chapter 4. We'll continue, of course, our study uh, of the book. And, of course, we're seeing the two sons of Adam and Eve, Cain and Abel. Last time, we not only saw the birth of these two boys, but a key event in their lives. A particular time in which they came to bring God their offerings. We realized that God had favor with Abel's offering. He accepted it, but with Cain's offering, he did not have favor. And as we continue this evening, we see the response of Cain and the whole results of his actions. We see the murder. We see Cain kills his brother Abel. Why? Because there's anger and jealousy and pride. And the Bible states that Cain's works were evil and Abel's works were righteous. So there's a lot there. As we study this passage, we're going to see how do we approach God. And that's, that's why I want to kind of go back and give the flow because we see there's two ways really to approach God. One by your works and one by faith. And we'll see that aspect and then we'll realize our responsibility to one another. Because one of the great words in here is, am I my brother's keeper? And the answer is, yes, you are. Yeah, and we'll see how it fits together. So we'll look at it. We'll start with prayer and then we'll get into the passage. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, <clears throat> what a night. Thank you for the songs, the music, just so great. We thank you for the opportunity to lift up our voices and praise and adoration to you. Thank you for the Bible, how perfect it is. Lord, as we look at Cain and Abel, we look at this first part, we see how God, uh, how you deal with, with uh, Cain. And so, Lord, teach us now. Lord, we thank you that for the fact that Jesus Christ is our substitute and sacrifice and that the only way that we can approach you is through Jesus Christ. He is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except you. There is no other name given under heaven among men whereby we might be saved except Jesus Christ. So thank you, Lord, that he is that one. Help us to understand it and make application tonight as we see this. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, war is a bad time. We've been in war for a while now because of you know the Gulf War and the Iraq and Afghanistan. And there's death and destruction, imprisonment and suffering. I had friends that went to the Vietnam War that were my age, and uh, it was pretty terrible. When you think about war, oftentimes you think of prison camps. And when you think about prison camps, the first thing I think about is not Vietnam, but I think about Hitler's death camps and the concentration camps. I want to read you a story uh, concerning one of these camps. It was February 1941, a man by the name of Maximilian Kolbe. He was incarcerated at Auschwitz. He was a priest. He shared with some other prisoners, in fact, he told people about, he told the other prisoners the truth of Jesus Christ. He had a nickname. He was called the Saint of Auschwitz. In July of that same year, there was an escape. The custom by these Germans was to kill ten prisoners for everybody who escaped. So a guy escaped, so they gathered in the prison yard, and the commander randomly would select ten names from the roll book. These victims would be taken to a cell where they received no food or water until they died. The commander began calling out names. The tenth and final name called was the last name, and I, it's a hard name to say. It was Jajostniczek. That's how it was. Polish guy. He began to sob. He said, my wife, my children. Sadness and sorrow. Suddenly, suddenly there was movement among the prisons, prisoners. The guards raised their rifles as a prisoner left his row and came to the front. It was Colby. He showed no fear. Calmly, he said, I would like to talk to the commander. It is a miracle that he was not shot immediately. Sir, he says, I would like to make a request. I want to die in the place of the prisoner. And he pointed to Jajadnikchek. He pointed to him. He said, I have no wife, no children. I'm old. I'm good for nothing. He's in better condition. Colby knew the Nazi, the Nazi mentality. Who are you? The officer asked. He said, I'm a priest. 
The block is stunned. The commander, speechless, finally he says, request granted. Prisoners were never allowed to speak. Jajanitsky states, I could only thank him with my eyes. He looked over at Colby. Colby took his place. Jajanitsky has survived. He has a plaque in his backyard that he made himself, hand-carved, and it's a tribute to Maximilian Colby, and it says, The man who died so I could live. We all realize that someone died for us so that we could live. And that's Jesus Christ. Came to this earth to die on the cross to be our substitute, to take our place. Because we owe God death. We all sin and come short of the glory of God. We should have died. We should be separated from the Father. But Jesus Christ took our place. And so tonight as we think about how do you approach God, you can only approach God through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. The one who died in our place. That's why I think substitution is so powerful in the Bible because we read it and almost on Sunday mornings I always start off by saying Luke presents Jesus as the perfect man, the substitute and sacrifice for our sins because that's who he is. This evening we see Cain and Abel approaching God. We talked about it last week, but we'll remind ourselves what we saw. One comes by faith with blood, the blood sacrifice, the substitution. He's following the pattern that God had given some people have said, what difference does it make? Since Cain was a farmer, he could bring food. And Abel was a shepherd, he could bring a sheep. What's the big deal? Well, the big deal was shown by God earlier when the sacrifice was made after Adam and Eve sinned. And he killed an animal. Blood was shed. And the coats of skin covered the man and woman's sin. And the picture was set that in order for there to be a covering of sin, in order there to be a, 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 a help there, there has to be the sacrifice. Hebrews 9.22 says, Without the shedding of blood, there could be no forgiveness. And so when Cain brings his fruit of the ground, the joke that people have always said is you can't get blood out of a turnip. That's where it possibly comes from. Because you can't get blood from that. God had already shown him the pattern to approach him, a blood sacrifice to cover sin, pointing forward to the seed of woman who would who would crush the head of the serpent, who would shed his blood. When we think about the sacrificial system in the Old Testament, the blood was shed, the animal was the substitute and covered sin. All the sacrifices really pointed to two things. One, they pointed to the coming sacrifice, Jesus Christ. I mean, you start going through there from Adam and Eve all the way up to Abraham and to Isaac and to Jacob and then to Moses and the whole sacrificial system. Everything pointed to the coming sacrifice. And that's why I think it's so powerful when Jesus walked on this earth and John the Baptist pointed him out as the Lamb of God who would take away the sin of the world, not the Lamb of God who would cover sin as all the other sacrifices did, but here is the final one, the one who would pay for sin. The second thing about the sacrificial system, it covered sin until the Messiah did not pay for sin. Sins were not paid for until Jesus Christ died on the cross and paid for the sins of mankind. He is the final sacrifice for sin forever. So we realize that when Jesus came as the Lamb of God, He took away the sin and made the final sacrifice. Well, we see Cain and Abel approaching God. We'll go back at verse 4 again. Or at verse 3. So it came about in the course of time that Cain brought an offering to the Lord of the fruit of the ground. And Abel, on his part, also brought of the firstling of his flock and their fat portion. So we look at it and we say, okay, that looks fine, but it's not fine. Because you stop for a minute and say, wait a minute, wait a minute, there's a problem. What was Cain supposed to do? He was supposed to bring a blood sacrifice. And by the way, a sacrifice has to cost you. 
or else it wouldn't be a sacrifice. I still think of David when he was wanting to get that land to, to put the tabernacle on. And he went to that guy and he said, sell me this land right here because I've got to put the tabernacle on this. And the guy who knew David, he said, oh, King David, I will give it to you. I will give it to you. And he said, no, no, no. How can I make a sacrifice that costs me nothing? So a sacrifice always costs us. And uh, notice it says, Abel on his part also brought the first, the first of the uh, firstling of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering. The word regard means to look favorably. But for Cain and for his offering, he had no regard. He did not look favorably. He accepted Abel's offering, but he did not accept Cain's offering. Why? We saw last time. That Why? Because it was not by faith. Hebrews 11.4 tells us that by faith, Abel brought a better sacrifice. Cain didn't come by faith. Because by faith is taking God at His word. By faith is doing what God says. If we're going to live by faith, we live by the Scripture. We do what God says to do. And as we say, I'm living by faith. I'm trusting God and His word. If He says do this, I will trust Him and do that. That's why He didn't come by faith. Abel did. Cain did not. The second thing is Cain brought no blood. The Hebrews 9.22, without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness. He didn't bring blood. That's why God didn't accept it. We must approach God by the blood sacrifice. Now, for us, it's not an animal sacrifice because the blood of bulls and goats could never take away sin. Hebrews 10.4, it only covered sin. Jesus is the payment. Well, we notice that God told him. He was angry, and God said in verse 6, Why are you so angry? Why is your countenance fallen? And, and he said, you know, he said, If you'll do well, your countenance will be lifted up. If you don't do well, sin's crouching at the door. It's desire for you. It's desire to rule you, and you must master it. That's where we ended last time, basically. We saw that Cain is very upset because God didn't accept his offering. Now, I want to bring this out. As we go through some of the passages a little bit later, I'm showing a contrast between Cain and Abel. And in this contrast, I put that, it's, that Cain may be an unbeliever. I want you to understand that Cain may be a believer. Could be just as easy a believer who is disobedient to God. Because remember, this offering, that's not the first time they ever made an offering to God. You understand, they're grown men here. And they've been coming. When it says it came about in the course of time, that means the end of the days, the end of the week. It was when they were bringing their sacrifices. And so, I'm not saying, and, and I've got up here that maybe Cain is a picture of an unbeliever. I've had a lot of people say that Abel was a believer, Cain's an unbeliever. And I have in my slide in a little bit that we're going to show a contrast possibility. But I want you to know that the possibility is also that Cain was a believer. He's just disobedient here. Not doing what God told him to do. And so... He said, listen, why are you so upset? If you'll do well, if you do what's right, it'll be accepted. If you don't, sin is crouching at the door. The flesh is there to get you. It's desire for you. It's desire to master you. But you must master it. Well, verse 8 is strange because it suddenly says, it basically says, then Cain told Abel his brother. Told him what? We don't know. If you, who's got an NIV? Anybody got an NIV? How does verse 8 start? Okay, now, NIV says, Cain said to his brother Abel, let's go out to the field. New American Standard says, Cain told Abel his brother. And it came about when they were in the field. You understand that sometimes in manuscripts there's a little bit discrepancies. Sometimes in manuscripts, people doing the translation read it in a different way. The, 
the the MT, the Masoretic text, basically says Cain told Abel his brother. The the people who did the NIV and they did an excellent job in the NIV and the New Testament in the uh, Old Testament are basically putting together the fact that they went out of the field and so they're saying that Cain and so that's why if you got an NIV and I'm reading this you're going that's not what mine says two different things uh, the NIV is saying Cain told Abel his brother let's go out into the field where the New American Standard says Cain told Abel his brother and it came about when they went out into the field. The two questions I have is, one, if you take the numeric standard, it says Cain told Abel his brother, but he didn't tell us what he told him. If you take the NIV, he told him to go into the field. I don't know. I more likely would uh, choose the numeric standard reading a little bit better, because I think what Cain did is went to his brother and told him that God didn't accept his sacrifice. I think he said to him, I'm really upset because I took this up there and God didn't take it. We'll never know what they said, but you can almost hear Abel saying, Why don't you just take God at His word and bring the right thing? Come by faith. Take a sacrifice. Here, you can get one of my sheep. You can get something of mine. Now you've got to pay for it because it's got to cost you a little bit, remember? It's got to be a sacrifice. It's what it is. It's an act of worship. It came about while they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel, his brother, and killed him. It said he rose up, which literally means to win after, to go after. It has an idea of anger. It has an idea of an attack. And he killed him. And we don't know why. It's the first recorded murder in the Bible. It's the, we don't know what happened. We, some say he's just angry. He's envious. He killed his brother. Some have said that when he was out there, Abel kept saying, you know what you ought to do. You should give God blood. You should give the blood sacrifice. And probably heard it enough times that he said, okay, if God wants blood, I'll give him blood. And he killed his brother. And that seems pretty logical to me, especially when people are angry and envious and frustrated and mad. And it looks like the brother is is right. <laughs> and you're wrong. And you don't want to be wrong. First John chapter 3, verse 12 says, we always raise the question, why in the world would he do this? What did he do? First John 3, 12 says that Cain's works were evil and his brothers were righteous. He not only did not approach God in the right way, but what he did was evil. Evil and righteousness. And that's why, and I put this up here, and that's why a lot of people say that the believer was Abel and the unbeliever was Cain. The one who came to God, the one who rejected God, the one who was the seed of woman, the one who the seed of the serpent. That's what people say, because you go back to the seed of woman, and that believers were the seeds of the serpent in the sense, uh, excuse me, unbelievers were the seeds of the serpent, and believers were the seed of woman in that sense. I don't know. I, I'm going to be honest with you that I, I, would, I, would not, I would not be surprised if when we all get to be with our Savior, that Cain is going, boy, did I blow it, that he's there with us. I think sometimes we read these things and we think, and, and let me just say this, we read it and we think at this point they only got two kids. There's no telling how many children they had. We're seeing two children, two kids, two men, two grown men coming to God. There's no telling how many other children they've had that's gone on and had other children. Because we're going to see, as you get into next week, we'll see that after God deals with him, he goes off and finds somebody and marries him. So when you see this, don't say they only had two kids at this point. Don't say that this is the first time in their whole lives they ever approached God. So we don't know. I think we're seeing a picture 
of obedience and disobedience. A picture of coming to God the right way and not coming to God the right way. It's powerful. When Cain and Abel, when Adam and Eve sinned, we saw the grace of God. They sinned. They were shame. They were separation. They ran and hid. And what God could have done was, they're dead. They're gone. I think I'll just start over. Could he have not done that? He can do anything. Wages of sin is what? He could have killed him right then, couldn't he? And just made more people. But he didn't. He saw the grace of God. When Cain kills Abel, what could God do if he chose to? Chose to. Just like that. But he doesn't. Watch the grace of God. And by the way, let me say this. Did anybody sin today? What could God have done if he chose to? He could put you dead, couldn't he? Uh, when Ananias and Sapphira lied about giving the money to the church, what happened to them? I mean, here's Ananias, and he said, I sold it for this much, when he really sold it for a different amount, and I'm giving it all to the church. He's just giving a portion of the church. He, he didn't have to, he, he could give none to the church. <coughs> the issue was he lied. He died immediately. His wife walks in, and they say to her, How much did you sell the land for, and what are you doing? And that was her chance to say, she didn't even know her husband's dead. She could have said, well, the truth is, we sold it for 100 We decided to give 50 to the church. But she said, we sold it for 50 and we gave 50 to the church. Peter looks at her and says, you're dead, woman. She died just like that. How many of us would be dead if he killed every liar? The passage this morning when they were all upset because Jesus had gone to the house of a what? Sinner? How many of those people in that crowd were sinners? How many of us in this crowd are sinners? You know, we look at this way. We see the grace of God. This is how he deals with us. Watch. Then the Lord said to Cain, Where is Abel your brother? And he said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? Once again, the grace of God. God comes and, 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 and you know, this is how God deals with us. All we like sheep have gone astray. What does he do? He comes to us. In the Christian life, he wants us to be with us, we with him even when we sin. And that's why we move away from God. He always deals with us. He loves us. He has provision for confessing sin and being back in fellowship. So look what God does. He says, where is Abel your brother? Now let me ask you a question. Does God know? Of course he knows. He knows everything that ever happens. He knows everything in your mind. He knows everything in our souls. He knows what we do. He knows why we do it. He, not, he knows the thoughts and intentions. He knows everything. And so when he comes to Cain and says, Where is your brother Abel? What he really wants Cain to do is say, I don't even know how to tell you this, but I just went crazy. I, just, I lost it and I killed him. I, I blew it. I, I, don't even know how to, I don't even know what to say. I don't, I don't even know what to say. I've done something so horrible. He wants Cain to admit it. When we sin, we have to approach God only on the basis of grace. That's the only way we can approach Him, grace and mercy. What does He say? Where is your brother Abel? He said, I do not know. Is that truth or false? He's lying, isn't he? Can you lie to God and get away with it? (laughs) You can't get away with anything. John 8:44 the devil is a liar from the beginning. And then here's the key. He says, "Am I my brother's keeper? Am I supposed to look out for my brother?" You know what? The way this is written in the Hebrew, it's 
He, he's almost challenging God's right to even ask him these questions. Uh, who are you to ask me this question? I'm my brother's keeper? Wait a minute. I, why should you even ask this? He's renounced the right of brotherhood and he's refused to show respect to the eternal God. As some might say, we better be moving away from this guy. Spurgeon said this. We are either our brother's keeper or our brother's murderer. If we don't labor to save others, we're guilty of their blood. That's why later Paul would say, later in the scripture Paul would say, the blood of no man is on my hands. What did he mean by that? Because he had actually killed a person before. Or had something to do with killing. He was saying that as far as I'm concerned, I've tried to do everything I can that people would know about Christ. So when they die separated from God, that blood's not on my hands. He's saying basically I'm not here to look after my brother. Are we here to look after our brothers? Henry Morris said, who are we to look after? Anyone who crosses our path? Anyone who has a real need? Anyone that we have the ability to meet that need? What are our brother's needs? Because are, are we our brother's keeper? If anybody in this church has a need that we know about and we can meet, are we supposed to help? We are, aren't we? What ways are we our brother's keeper? First of all, there are people who need salvation. There are people we come in contact with every day. One of the things we've got to really start thinking, y'all, is that ministry, a small amount of ministry is done when we gather. A small amount. Teaching, things like that. Most of the ministry we're going to do is when we scatter. Your gifts, talents, and abilities, when you go all over this community and you represent the living God and you touch lives for Jesus Christ, that's where the ministry is happening. I mean, there are a lot of things we do when we gather, and we have people who teach, and people who set up, and people who do this, and all kind of ministries. But really, the mentality, the, the mistaken mentality is, you serve God when you come to church. No, you serve God every step of the way, whether you're here or somewhere else. And so, one of the needs that our brother has is the need of salvation. And as we go out from this place, we get to tell people, we get to tell the lost and dying world that there's a Savior. That Jesus Christ is the one who died and rose again. We get to tell them of the grace and the mercy of God. The need of salvation. But you know what? There's more. Our brother has physical needs. It's true. At Galatians 6, help those people. Help them, it says. Do, do good. Do good to all men, especially the household of faith. You know, we were thinking, I was talking to somebody the other day, and then I was talking with Kurt Sharp at uh, lunch. Kurt, y'all know him. He's one of the great guys, great young college guys. He's going this summer to Indonesia. He's going to be there for about two months. And I said, tell me what your plan is. What, what's it going to be like when you get there? And he said, well, the first thing I'm going to, I'm going to live, I'm going to live in a grass hut. I'm going to, I saw the picture of where I'm going to live. I'm living out in an area in which... Uh, there's no running water. There's nothing. And I live in a grass hut. And that's the good place I'm going to live for the first month and a half. And he said, there'll be no running water. And I think I take a bath or something by just pouring water over me. And, and I'll do this and I'll learn some stuff. And then my final two weeks, they actually take me to a place where the real ministry's done out in nowhere, you know. And we were talking about that what we have here in the, this country, that the poorest people in our country are richest people everywhere else. We bring a person up and we say, this person is below the poverty level. They, they have a color TV and a car and electricity and food stamps and anything they need. 
And these are our poor people. And they're richer than anybody else in the world. Just go to other parts of the world. And they're people who have nothing. I went with Campus Crusade to Mexico a number of years ago. And we, we, we went to a section. And, and these people, where they lived, and we would go, oh my gracious. And we were talking to them and with a translator. And one of the persons said, oh, we're fine. You want to see poor people? We went, yeah, yeah, we want to see poor people. This is poor people. And they took us to a place where people were living in cardboard. And we say, oh, we're poor. I only have one car. I only have 15 shirts, two or three running shoes, you know, pairs of running shoes. Gosh, I don't have very much. We, we have got the means to help a lot of people all over this world, physical needs. But there's a third thing, and that's spiritual needs. Not just the, when we think of salvation, that's a spiritual need, but I'm talking about spiritual needs of each believer as we build up the body of Christ. Ephesians 4.12, we're equipping one another to do the work of the ministry, to build up the body of Christ. We're to take the things we've been taught and trust these to others so we'll help each other grow. We are responsible. We are our brother's keeper. We need to take the message of salvation. We need to help each other grow. We need to meet physical needs. This church is amazing. I know know some instances even in the last two weeks where our people have said, here's a need. We will meet it immediately. I've been here almost 23 years. And I'm going to tell you from going back to the original days when there were 11, 12, 15, 30, 50 people. If those people in this church knew of a need, they would meet it. This church has always been that way. It's by the grace of God. When they, when you find out there is a need, sometimes we don't know all the needs. Sometimes we just don't find out about them. When we find out about them, you meet those needs. That's what we're supposed to do. Well, God confronts him and he lies and he refuses accepting responsibility for his brother. The truth is you can't hide sin. God knows everything. He knows our failings. God moves from mercy to judgment. Verse 10, he says, What have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. What does it say? What does the voice of his blood say? Vengeance. Isn't that what blood says? What did the law say? Eye for an eye and tooth for... That's what the law says. You know why the law put that in there? You know why? Because if you hit... If you hit somebody on the shoulder, they'll pick up a stick and hit you this way. And so you pick up a stick and you knock them on the head. And so somebody picks up a gun and kills you. And somebody comes and blows up your whole house. Because see, it's always that way. Vengeance doesn't go even, even. It goes bigger, bigger. And that's why the law said, if you're going to have any repercussions... It's got to be even. Eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. Law limited retribution. That's what the law was for. It limited it. It says, because see, if you poke this guy's eye out, he says, I'm, I'm going to kill him. Because he poked my eye out. No, law only says you poke his eye out. He says, what have you done? The blood. Your brother's blood's crying to me from the ground. Vengeance. Vengeance. Death is sad and life is valuable. In fact, life is the most valuable thing that God has given. Each person is made in the image of God and is special and unique and valuable. What he's saying is you can't stop the voice of your brother because his blood cries out. 
What should happen to him? What the law say? Kill him. But there's no law. Right? When did the Mosaic law come? Abraham? Isaac? Jacob? Joseph? Judah? Now try 400 years after Judah. Moses. What's going to happen to this guy? Somebody said, well, death penalty. There's no death penalty right now. Have you ever wondered why God didn't kill Cain for killing Abel? There's no death penalty. Look what he says. He says, now you are cursed from the ground. Now, by the way, uh, let's talk about the death penalty for just a second. after the flood, I don't know if I have it. Yeah, after the flood, do you realize that all the way up to the flood, and when they came off the ark, after the flood, and there's Noah and his three sons and all their wives and all the animals, God says this. He says, if a man sheds the blood of another man, by man shall his blood be shed. And so that's the first mention of a death penalty after coming off of the ark. And so he basically says that when someone kills someone else, it is the responsibility of mankind. He's talking about a process. He's not talking about an individual person. He's saying a process that man sheds the blood of that man. I've had people say, well, uh, that's, 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 that's not true. Well, that was before the law. And then under the law, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. And then even after the law, in Romans 13... The government is raised up to take the sword. It is the responsibility of the government to deal with people who kill. That's why people are all saying, is the death penalty just? Yes, it is. It is the responsibility of the governmental authorities to deal with crime. That's part of what they do. Psalm 9:12. he does not forget innocent blood. God has given man the responsibility to put to death those who kill others to show the value of human life. It is so valuable that only a life can pay for another life. Look what he says. Now you are cursed from the ground which which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. You're cursed. The ground's cursed. You're cursed from the ground. Guess what? You're not going to be able to grow very much. In fact, you're not going to grow anything. In fact, you're going to try to, have to make your living. It ain't going to be from being a farmer, that's for sure. What's his job been all this time? Being a farmer. He said, you're not going to be able to touch the ground. Not going to work. The blood of your brother has polluted the ground for you. You understand under the, under the Mosaic law that if someone was walking through a field and they came across a dead body, of course, they didn't want to touch it. Why? Why? You don't want to touch that dead body. Why? Makes you unclean, then you can't do something. So you go, whoa, and you go back and you go back into the town, your town, and you said, there's a, there's somebody dead out there in the field. And so they'd come out to the field and they'd go, oh yeah, there, yeah, that's a dead person. And then they'd go, okay, who did it? Nobody knows who did it. So you know what they'd have to do? If they didn't know who killed, they would have to measure to the closest village. Which town was the closest to the dead body was responsible. For the sacrifices to cover that sin. Because they did not know who did it. So the closest town said we'll take the responsibility. We'll offer the sacrifices to cover whatever is done there. That's how valuable life is. 
We read the paper. We see the movies. How many times do you see a person killed on television? You've seen a person killed on television so many times, it doesn't even mean anything to you. I still always go back to Little Big Man. Most of you know Little Big Man, Dustin Hoffman. You have to be older to probably remember the movie. But he went through all these. He was about 114 years old when he was doing the movie. That's part of the movie. And he's given his life as a cowboy. And he's talking to a reporter. And he talks about his gunfighter period. He pretended to be a gunfighter. And he saw Wild Bill Hickok one time. So he's sitting with Wild Bill Hickok and... He's never done anything. He's never even shot his gun, or he just doesn't know what he's doing. And this man comes in, and Wild Bill Hickok has to kill him, shoot, kiss him, and he falls down dead. And Dustin Hoffman goes over, and he goes, that man's really dead, Mr. Hickok. That man's really dead. He'd never seen a dead person. See, we've seen so many dead people on TV. It doesn't even mean anything, doesn't it? I mean, games that these kids played, and they're just shooting and killing and shooting and killing everything coming their way, and they don't even think about it anymore. We've lost the value. And, of course, something that's really tough is the whole abortion thing. Baby after baby. Look what he says. When you cultivate the ground, it will no longer yield its strength to you. You will be a vagrant and a wanderer on the earth. He has no home from now on. He would have to wander from place to place. Nothing would grow for him. Wonder how he's going to make a living. <clears throat> What's he going to do? He's going to have to find another way to do it, isn't he? He may have to get him some sheep. Like his brother had. What have we seen? only way to approach God is a blood sacrifice. We saw Cain killed Abel. We see God confronted. Cain denied. And God judged. There's a lot there. Let me give you some applications. Realize there is only one way to approach God. We come by Jesus Christ, the substitute, His blood sacrifice. We've all sinned. We need a Savior. God has sent the perfect one. The wages of sin is death. We need a Savior. And the only way to come is through the sacrifice. That's why I always you know, make the thing. And I do it a lot of places. But I'll, we got it in the 2-2. The, how is salvation? Well, the whole story of the Bible is the perfect God brings sinful man back to himself using his son, Jesus Christ. He is the sacrifice. He is the only way to God. That's why when you hear people talk and they say things like, God has a lot of ways. No, he does not. The only way to God is through the blood sacrifice of Jesus Christ, the Savior who died in our place, who is the substitute. God has the provision. Just as Maximilian Colby took that other man's place in the physical way, Jesus Christ took our place in the spiritual way to pay for sin and to conquer death, and he took our place. So come to God only through faith in Jesus Christ, the Savior, the substitute, and the sacrifice. Second. Realize you are your brother's keeper. We're responsible to look out to others. We're to... Um, do we have anything other? Yeah, we, we're responsible to give the message of salvation. It is amazing to me how many people don't know the message of salvation. That they think it's their works. They, they wouldn't even say that. They wouldn't say it's their works, but they would say, i got to be willing to do this and do this and do this and turn away from this and be willing to do They don't realize it's their works. We need to give them a clear message of salvation. We need to help meet physical needs. And we need to bear one another's burdens. That's in the spiritual aspect. We need to be there for each other. There have been many of you in the 23 years I've been here, 22 and a half years I've been here, that you have uh, 
you've done all of these things for me. You've met physical needs. You've been there spiritually for me. You've been there in a lot of ways. And I've watched you do it for each other. It's so amazing. So here's the question for each of us. Are we investing ourselves in other people? Because that's what it's all about. That's what it's all about. And you've heard me say this many times. It's not about possessions. It's not even about programs and particular things you think you ought to do. It really boils down to relationships. The relationship you have with God, the relationship with your family, and the relationship with your friends. That's what life is all about, your relationships. Who can you touch? How can you build them up? The third thing, just to remember, is searching for sources. It just go off. It doesn't matter. The third thing is there are consequences to sin. And this is what we see. Now, you know, we would all say, good night. It seemed like if Cain murdered Abel, I mean, maybe he should be put to death. But at this point, there is no death penalty. And God doesn't kill him. God says, I'm going to put something on you that will affect you the rest of your life. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. Whatever a man sows, that shall he also reap. And you know what's so amazing, and we're going to see it next week, Cain says, this punishment's too great for me. And he says, everywhere I go, somebody's going to try to kill me. And God says, no, no, I'm going to put a mark on you. I'm going to put a mark on you. The Lord said, whoever kills Cain, vengeance will be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord appointed a sign for Cain, so that no one finding him would slay him. I don't know what the mark is. I don't know what the sign was. Doesn't say. May we come to God by the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, and may we invest our lives in others. Let me pray. I've got to take a drink before we can pray. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thanks for tonight. Thank you, Lord, as we look at this. There's only one way to come to you, and that's through Jesus Christ. He's our substitute, our sacrifice, our Savior. He's the one that died in our place. He is the blood sacrifice. Shed His blood. We're not redeemed with corruptible things like silver and gold, but with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Lord, thank you for sending Jesus to take my place. And thank you, Lord, that you accept that and that the blood sacrifice, you are pleased. He is the satisfactory payment, not for our sins only, but for the sins of the entire world. Thank you, Lord. Lord, thank you for a body of believers who realize that we are each other's keepers and that we spread the message of salvation and we meet physical needs and we bear one another's burdens and we build each other up and we're there for each other. Thank you for all the things that people have done over all these years. May we keep on doing it. May we invest our lives in other people. And Lord, may we realize there are consequences to sin. We've seen what happened to Cain and we realize the wages of sin is death. Help us, Lord, to study and learn and make application and pass on to other people. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, questions, comments, anything about tonight you want to say, talk about? <clears throat> yeah, Randy? So they've been, giving, they've been making sacrifices and offerings to God, I guess. I think it's kind of interesting that I'm assuming, and maybe I'm wrong, but that some of the offerings that they made were for covering sin, as an example of how God killed an animal to cover Adam and Eve's sin. Mm-hmm. But you don't see that Cain... Does that. Not in that passage. You're exactly right. I think that, you know, when it says the end of days or in, at the end of time, that means at the end of the week. So weekly, they probably approach God. And these are men. They're not boys. So how many years had they been approaching God? And, and maybe sometimes they approached God and it was, it was joyous. And maybe sometimes they approached God and they had done wrong. But whatever happened this time, 
Abel brought the right thing by faith because Hebrews tells us it was by faith. And Cain did not. And, and it's almost like maybe Cain had done something wrong and he was refusing, in a sense, to come to God with the sacrifice to cover his sin. That, is that what you're implying? Yeah. <clears throat> Oh no, you're right. You're right. He never even he never even tries to in a sense he never tries to get in fellowship with God here. And what God does is is ban, banishes him and he tells him you're gone. And he says you're going to be a wanderer and wherever you're going you ain't going to have a place to live. And so he says you have driven me this day from the face of the ground and from your from your face. Some people say that Cain was not a believer. Others say he was a believer. If he's a believer, which he may be, He's not going to have fellowship with God anymore. And let me tell you, when you look at the descendants, and, and that's what we're going to get. Cain went out and he got married and he had a son and his son had a son. And you start reading these things. They're a totally different group of people that's going to come, that's going to come different through Seth, which is going to be the other son they'll have, or one of the other sons they have, which is a picture there of, of believers and people who are living righteously. you got two groups going, and that's why a lot of people say Cain wasn't a believer. I I don't know. I think it'd be awfully hard to approach God all that time the wrong way, you know. So we'll just see as we go through it. But uh, it's pretty powerful. But Randy, you're right. He didn't offer. He didn't offer anything there. Good point. What else? Anything else? Any other input? Questions? Comments? Okay. Let me pray again, and we'll stop. Dear Heavenly Father, what a great night. Thanks for our time and thank you for Jesus and Lord we we never want to take for granted the the what you've done for us and the sacrifice and substitute of Jesus Christ Lord we love you and use us for your glory we ask this in Jesus name amen